from the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Today, we're discussing culture and the ongoing conversations surrounding person-first or identity-first language. We'll hear from past podcast guests, Neva Fairchild, Greg Stilson, and Adam Wilton, and a new guest, linguist Doug Bigham. Hi, I'm Doug Bigham. Uh, I have a PhD in linguistics that I got from the University of Texas in 2008, and I was a researcher um, focusing on sociolinguistics, how people use their language to um, speak to their identity and to express their identity. That was kind of my main research focus when I was a linguist full-time. My current role at TSPBI is the content analyst. So going through our website and our content properties, uh, making sure that they're accessible for visually impaired people and making sure that other accessibility issues are addressed. And just kind of also keeping keeping a watch on the content to make sure that it all kinds of aligns with itself and that we're on kind of the same page when we're talking about how we do the work that we do and how we want to address each other in that work. Going back to what you researched in uh, at UT, um, how how did you find that language uh, related to people's identities? Yeah, so language is um, one of the biggest ways that human beings express their identity and relate to their identity. It is one of the first ways we have to mark ourselves out as distinctive. Um, A lot of research has been done on the language of, for example, like elementary school kids and middle school kids, because this is the age when children really start to use language in unique and inventive ways, not just in terms of like wordplay and word games, but also in terms of using their language to to stress who they are as people. that's when, for example, a lot of boys will start to artificially drop their voices before their voices drop naturally um, so they can sound more masculine um, and stuff like that. I didn't know that. I never really thought yeah, about it before. People do weird things with language all the time. <laughs> You've heard a lot about the debate in our field about whether we identify ourselves as educators, as uh, teachers of visually impaired students or teachers of students who are visually impaired. Uh, you know, I've as a parent, I've struggled with, am I the parent of a blind child or am I the parent of a child who is blind? So what's what's your take on that and why maybe it's such a heated uh, debate yeah. Um, so the way so the, the way that people use language to identify themselves um, and to place themselves in society is kind of one aspect. But then also the way that people are languaged, the way that we use language to apply labels to people in order to categorize people and to put them in certain boxes um, can also be super important. And I think that it's very important, not just that we think about how we're thinking about it now, but also that we allow a flexibility for that to change, right? So in other groups, for example, um, I'm I'm, I'm gay myself. And so like in LGBT plus groups, we've gone from, you know, calling ourselves gay to queer to back to gay. um, And that kind of fluidity is necessary because the times change and people's opinions about things change. So when we're talking about person-first language, it really is this kind of shift of 
do I want to be thought of first as who I am and then have these other things applied to me? Or do I want to be thought of first as a person who's, whose unique features are, are what make them distinctive, what set them apart in the world? That's something that can be very fluid. And it's not even like there's no right or wrong answer because one person can say, I prefer you use person first language with me. And another person can say, I don't really like that. I don't like the way that that applies to me. And so it's important also that we allow that fluidity for whoever we're addressing, not to bend over backwards, you know, to um, to try and address everybody. But if somebody says to us when we're talking to them, like, I prefer to be called um, a blind person or I prefer to be called a person with blindness, to just, like, internalize that and accept it rather than to say, actually, let me tell you about why you're wrong. Like, we never <laughs> want to do that. I, I think that's one of the, the biggest struggles as a teacher is because our identity that we're trying to express is that we're an educator, first and foremost. We're a teacher. And then when we add the second part, we're trying to be respectful of the students we serve and the adults we know, and their preferences all vary. So I think it's a, it's a, a struggle for us to determine what's the most respectful way to do that. That's where I always kind of land um, because I want to represent the people I serve the best, but their opinions are all varied. So right. that's a challenge. Yeah, it certainly can be a challenge. And it's important that people who we're talking to also kind of recognize that, right? Like we can do the good work on our part and we certainly should do that. But we also shouldn't um shouldn't get too upset with ourselves if the things that we think of as a best practice the thing that we've decided is the way that we're going to do things if it doesn't work for all people like that's that's fine that's just the way language works and doesn't work sometimes huh. so like um, when you're talking with a transgender person right it's important that you use the proper pronouns um if you misgender a person like doing a bunch of backflips in order to apologize for that can be oftentimes more offensive than just saying, oh, I'm sorry, um, I'll try and do better next time. Yeah. And just working on that, right? This kind of like recognition that we're not going to get it perfect. And so just doing the best that we can to kind of put our positions forward. Yeah. And so the person first language that we're dealing with right now, that is very much about, it's about these notions of identity that we also don't always have access to. Um, so I'm, I'm I myself do not have visual impairment. I'm not a, a visually impaired person. And so it's interesting because I don't really have a stake in that debate or in that discussion. And so I am going to really default to what the community wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a, you know, that's a great point. And, and as we hear in this podcast episode, there's, you know, we talked to a couple people who are blind, and they have their own perspectives, and also speak to that, you know, letting individuals sort of make those determinations for themselves. If we look at like the long arc of history, we can kind of see how things are moving um, in lots of different kinds of subcultures, and especially marginalized subcultures. And so while we're talking about visually impaired populations um, or multiply impaired populations, we can still look to how other populations of marginalized individuals have had this kind of journey to see where they ended up mm -hmm. um, to kind of guide us along the way. So something that, that, that may or may not come up right now is how we're using different kinds of person-first language. And it's like, well, what did people end up doing along the way 
the debate is always there in all these marginalized communities. We see that debate and it never ends up being the thing that wins out in the long term. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Like we don't talk about people who are gay. We talk about gay people. Um, We don't talk about people who are trans. We talk about trans people. Right. Mm -hmm. So that people who are saying is something that all these marginalized communities have gone through. It's a phase that everybody goes through um, when like kind of determining these, it'll be interesting to see if, um, blind and deaf communities do the same thing, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, that is not the way that in, that things end up shaking down. My background is as an, is a, a teacher of students with visual impairment. Um, although I'm starting to make the transition to teacher of visually impaired students, you know, moving more from moving away from the person first language into the more identity first language, but that's a that's a process because we've been using TSVI or teacher of students with visual impairments for some time. Um, wait, wait, wait. Before, a, before uh, you move on from that thought, Adam, you know, yeah. I, I want to comment on that really quick because I bet this is something that's sort of unheard of for many of our listeners. Um, you know, we talk a lot about person first language and, and sort of that that is has been um, a priority in special education mm-hmm. in recent years. Yeah. Um, but uh, because I follow you on Twitter and some of our and some other folks in our field, I know that there is this um, sort of movement to recognize a person's own identity and how they identify themselves yeah. and that many of our students do put blind or visually impaired before other qualifiers, so to speak. Um, So how did you land on switching to that overall in a general way? It seems hard to take a general track in either direction. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I will admit that this is an early project for me, an early stage project. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of a more official term, uh, teacher of students with visual impairments is still the one you're going to find on our website at PRCBI. It's still what I would put in a grant application mm-hmm. um, because of it, because of the general recognizability and attachment that many people have to that person-first language approach. But what's really shifted for me is engaging with my friends and peers who are blind or visually impaired and listening to their perspectives and 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 trying to, um, you know, trying to really prioritize the identity piece over the blanket assumption of person first. Now, I think that person first language has served an, a, a great, um, uh, it's had a great role in, in shifting the narrative of how we refer and speak about exceptionality. Um, but I think you know, we're, we're almost moving beyond it to a point where we don't necessarily need to have these kind of more societally referenced statements. We need to have more individual reference statements um, that are more recog- that are that better recognize the individuality and self-determination of persons who are blind or visually impaired. Um, and I realized I just used person first language there. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> so you see, it's still... Yeah. It's still, uh, for me personally, as a professional in our field, I'm at a point of transition right now, um, as I think some people are as well. Um, and but for me, it's for me, it's personal. For me, it's having spoken with my friends and colleagues um, who are visually impaired uh, and and hearing their perspective. The, 
the, the majority, uh, I would say actually the significant majority, um, prefer a more identity-first approach. Um, and quite frankly, I want to use language that's supportive of them and, and you know, their agency in the world. Um, and so as an ally, um, I'm, making the sh- I- I'm beginning to make the shift from person first to identity first. But like I said, that's more of a, a personal decision at this point um, and not one that I would say is reflective of kind of the, any broader official position. You know, um, it's just, this is interesting to me um, because recently we've started to see the term TSVI show up more in Texas, which mm-hmm. isn't broadly used in the United States. You probably know um, most people say teacher of the visually impaired or teacher of blind students. Um, but now I'm seeing people refer to it as a teacher of students with visual impairment, which is new to us, but not to you, where you're already transitioning to another stage. And so, you know, it makes me want to kind of slow down and be like, teacher of the visually impaired doesn't put the person anywhere in the title necessarily. And no, sort of no, leaves I don't space. think anyone's arguing teacher of the visually impaired. Right. No, I don't. Is where we need to stay. Yeah. Um, hmm. And it's, 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 but it's interesting though, because, you know, when talking and I should credit, um, you know, my, my, my great friend and colleague, Dr. Ting Tsu for, for kind of bringing me into this, 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 this discussion. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, she talks about is that, you know, the teacher of visually impaired students is still, like, it's still meaningful and it's still communicative, right? Like, it still communicates what it needs to mm-hmm. um, within that identity first um, approach. Um, and so we're, we would still refer to ourselves as TSVIs, but when we, when we read it and write it and spell it out, we make sure that the student is in there because I think we can all agree that moving past the stage of the visually impaired, and mm-hmm. I just used air quotes there. For the of, <laughs> I could I tell. Myself, <laughs> um, uh, is, you know, that, that the, like, the visually impaired, I, I think everyone can agree is not necessarily that um, meaningful yeah. a, or, or communicative uh, term. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, teacher of visually impaired students is where some colleagues are, have moved and, it, and it's where my thinking is, is, is starting to, to, to shift as well. So I agree that, you know, it, it, it seems like for, 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 for those who were still on the, the tra- traditional teacher of the visually impaired track to go to TSVI and then back to TVI, but TVI with maybe the S that doesn't necessarily appear in the acronym for teacher of visually impaired students, it's uh, it's an interesting trajectory. I hadn't thought yeah. of that, Emily. <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know I've I've struggled with this. Um, you know, as a, a parent of a blind child, I've always said a blind child, and I I I never put said a child who was blind until I was in the education world and then tried to use right. that lingo. But also always being mindful of how people are self-identifying and being mm-hmm. respectful of that. So, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that in some of our um, uh, consumer groups, 
that they identify as teachers of blind students and or that they identify as blind adults. Um, right. And I've been perfectly, you know, um, fine to uh, to use the terminology with the right audience and just being respectful, knowing that I'm not a person that's blind myself. So, you know, um, but it's hard to come up with a term that uh, that is comfortable for everybody. It, there's so much individuality in it, it seems like. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I should also state that I am not someone who identifies as having a visual impairment either. And so from from my perspective, the the from my perspective as an as a as someone who identifies as an ally, though, um, it's 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 just that it's 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 listening to the perspectives of 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 people who who do have um, a visual impairment and identify as such, um, and listening to how they refer to themselves and 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 what's most supportive of of them and their agency in in the world. Um, I think that when you get into education and you get into these broader fields and we, we need we need to have terminology so that we can um, so that we can have some degree of consistency in terms of our dialogue around whether it's services or materials or different resources um, it's important but you know the, the the there is a great language is very powerful but what's also powerful is what we do with it and so you know, I'm. I guess I would be also concerned about not only how am I ta- how am I describing myself as a teacher of visually impaired students, but you know, what am I doing with it, and what are my underlying pedagogical beliefs and philosophies that that are actually you know driving my practice. Right, right. Which is kind of a which which which, way on reflection, could, is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario because <laughs> yeah. you know la- language drives thought and thought drives language. Yeah. Wow, what a rabbit hole you've taken us down! I'm blaming you. I'm, I'm blaming yes, you. I, am, I should have meant this. This <laughs> podcast should have come with a Surgeon General's warning or something because tangents for me are just second nature. Yeah, we we've talked a lot lately about um, the the language and the thought of linguistics and how we label mm-hmm. individuals and and what what that means for themselves and also as professionals, you know, what's the most respectful and responsible way to work, to address, um, people, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of different opinions out there. There really are. And, uh, you know, you, you don't insult me if, you know, if you say uh, Neva is blind, because Neva is blind. Okay. (laughs) Even though I see light, you know, yeah. But my vision doesn't do anything to help me. Yeah. Right. Um. I use my ears. I use my fingers. I use my brain. You know. But yeah. my vision, my my eyes don't do anything to help me. But some people, even if they're totally blind, okay, don't see light at all. Yeah. Do not want to be referred to as blind. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't want to insult anybody either, right. but we've got to find we've got to find language that that honors people as well as um, it, it keeps a positive spin on it, you know. And it's really beyond politically correct, you know. Yeah, it really is, you know. But I, I I'll tell you what I object to is I object to the blind. Yeah. 
the blind, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no. Please don't lump me together with everybody else who has vision problems. And don't, uh, don't lump me together with the women, you know? <laughs> uh, wait a second. <laughs> so... What do you what do you think about, you know, there's there's all this debate that's coming back to the surface again about person first language or identity mm-hmm. first language. Like what are what are your thoughts on that? Or do you have I any? think it's important for respect. I really do think it's important for respect. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and again, that whole lumping people into one bucket, you know, everybody wow. who has this characteristic is the same. Right. You know, the redheads have hot tempers. Yeah. Okay. I'm not redheaded, but that would insult me if I was a redhead and I was a very mild mannered person. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's, I think it's just a matter of respect that uh, person, that person first language is important. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing is, is that people outside the quote unquote disability community yeah. don't use person first language. Right. So when you write something for the, for the website that you want people to find when they do a Google search, oh. they don't Google search for people who are blind or right. people with low vision. They Google blind people. Mm-hmm. So if you want your stuff found, interesting. You have to you have to mix up the 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 person first language and the what people really say language. Yeah. Huh. That's um <laughs> I mean I I have thought about that sort of in the periphery before but uh that's really interesting because I think you make such a good point there about what people say versus what do you say? What What did you say? What people actually say versus what they <laughs> they mm-hmm. try to say, or the mm-hmm. the way that our mind works? You know, I I heard something recently that said, or I was talking to somebody. I can't I can't remember anything anymore. But um, and they were saying that uh the the moment it takes us to pause and think about restructuring a sentence is really the whole point of person first language is that it makes us stop and think about the individual instead of focusing on uh, the other piece. And so that moment of reflection actually might make more of a difference than actually what comes out of your mouth. But it just is that pausing and reflecting on what you're actually trying to say. And that's why we have to intentionally change our language. Yeah. Um, We... I don't know if you ever took a foreign language in in school or not, but I can remember the day in French class, which because I had to take French because I thought it was so cool, right? (laughs) Never mind that Spanish would have been so much smarter. Yeah, I think all adults Um, say that now. (laughs) Took French. Hell yeah. Four years years of of lots of fun, but not much progress. But I remember the day that I stopped having to think it in English first and translate it to French before I said it. Mm. And that day was amazing. Hmm. And that's what we have to get to with our, this, this reframing is, is once, I mean, I've, I've made a concerted effort over the last two years since I, I heard about this reframeworks on the ageism uh, piece. Okay. I've made a concerted effort 
to make that change in my language and I and I keep harping on it for all of my colleagues who are writing stuff, you know. Yeah. And they're sick of it, but I'm going to I'm going to hang in there with it because it is about it is about uh, respect for people who are, uh, you know, getting older. Yeah. Um, and when we know what those, the wording is right now, it's just putting the person first, you know, with the word blind or visually impaired or low vision or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the, the thing I don't like, the heart of seeing. Oh, please. The what? Oh, heart of seeing. The heart of seeing instead of heart of hearing. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, please don't. Please, don't I haven't heard that me. one. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> but you know, we 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 have to incorporate that into our language until it becomes natural. Until yeah. we don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so, that takes that takes a lot of work. Yeah. There's been a lot of debate lately about the person first language and uh just sort of as a sidebar where um just because like I know now some TVIs that are calling themselves TVISs teachers of visually impaired students Mm. because they uh, a lot of their adult friends that are blind use the identity first language so they want to be teacher of blind students or anyway so isn't it just I mean I kind of get exhausted with all of that. <laughs> Look, I, but, and I don't know that we'll actually. Put we're this not going to solve. We're not going to solve anything here. I'll no, tell you that. No. But I, I, I can tell you that I am a person who. T- tell me what you want to be called, right? Yeah. Like that's that's where my where I'm at. But I, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody or whatever else. But I know that for me, I'm the type of person that just does. I, you're not. You're going to struggle to offend me, right? And yeah. Be, but I think it's also a matter of understanding. You know, is this? You know, are how do you position yourself with with regard to is your disability? You know, part of your identity. Is it something that is you know a, a separate piece of that? Everybody has their own stages that they go through and have an understanding of, or have a have a feeling of where that fits into who they are, right? And so, you know, I always tell people if I say something wrong, I tell me, and I won't do it again, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's kind of my my philosophy with it. But I know everybody has their own preferences, right? Well, and I'm sure we can all name times we've really offended somebody, whether we did it on purpose or on accident. I think I do it like every 12 minutes. <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I don't know about that, but <laughs> no. I, re- I recall uh, it was so funny. I got a text last week from a, a TBI friend of mine, and he was he brought up something he had said a couple weeks earlier and was like, you know, I just can't stop thinking about it. I'm so sorry that if I offended you. And I was like, I'm kind of like you. I It's hard to offend me. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, that's weird because I was just thinking about something I said to you. That I was <laughs> and um, But, part, you know, you just own it because yeah. it happens. Well, exactly. But. And, and you know, that's, that's a part of, you know, when you look at what is, what's politically correct and what's, you know, I, I don't think there's one standard, right? Like yeah. everybody has their own way that things fit into their identity. And some people are blind people and some people are people who are blind or some people don't care. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic, um, to look at and, and, you know, social dynamic at that point. Um, but you know, I, I, one, I can't say if one's better than the other or not. 
Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I was thinking about it lately and how there are a lot of kids that don't want to access, for example, services from the School for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the main reason for that is because they don't see their visual impairment as part of their identity or they don't want it to be part of their identity. Right. So they don't want to, they don't want to really be involved with us. And so I think regardless of where it falls for a person in their whole schema of who they are, it is part of their identity. It might not be the most important part, but it's like you kind of got, you have to own it somewhat or you're not going to get the services that you're going to need. And I think there's a, a level of, you know, um, what's the, not internal maturity, but, you know, you, you mature as uh, understanding who you are, right? And, That's and true. younger students, I can tell you myself, I, I wanted nothing to do with the, you know, the B word, being blind, right? Like that was right. not something that, that I wanted to attribute. And I, there's a certain point, I think, when something clicks um, in your maturity level and you're like, okay, you know, in order to be successful, I am going to have to, to own part of this. I think if we respect self-identities and use language accordingly, we are moving in the right direction. There's always more work to be done. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and Ascent of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.